Notice with me James chapter 5 and verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then again, the same verse in a few more translations. Weymouth translation. The heartfelt supplication of a righteous man exerts a mighty influence. Praise the Lord. The Adams translation, the petition of a righteous person has very powerful effects. And then one more, the New Living Translation, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Glory to God. Uh, one evangelist by the name of J. Sidlow Baxter said this, Men may spurn, that means they disregard, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. So we have been talking about the last couple of weeks about the gospel, the importance of the gospel in our life, how to better uh, effectively share the gospel. But it is not enough to preach to the lost. We must also pray for the lost. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me. And that means no one can be saved unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father draws men to Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the primary ways the Holy Spirit works is in response to our prayers. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin and of the need to be saved from sin. Notice this scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul is writing to this church and he says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the gospel must be proclaimed with more than words. Unless it is accompanied by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, it is unlikely to persuade hardened hearts. And the mighty influence that full conviction of the Holy Spirit is released through heartfelt prayer. So years ago, I was working for a Christian ministry in America for a very short time. And I visited different churches. And one church that I visited, the pastor formerly worked for Billy Graham. And he said that uh, he was part of an evangelistic uh, uh, prep team. And their job was to go to a city or location where Billy Graham was going to be having one of his large crusades and to do the necessary uh, preparation work. And that not only included meeting with pastors and churches and doing all the necessary arrangements, but it also included meeting together to pray, to pray for the crusade. And they did not go, this is what I thought was interesting, they did not go to that location for just a, a, a two or three day visit. They moved there. They lived there. And they did not arrive maybe a week or two before the meeting. They went sometimes as much as a year or maybe even more before the meeting began. And 
as I listened to this man, I realized that's the secret of their success. That's why Billy Graham could preach honestly a very simple message, not necessarily anything spectacular, but when they gave the invitation to receive the Lord, people were just drawn almost by an invisible magnetic power because the Word came with full conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because these people had done the preparatory work in prayer. Amen. Now, in the book of James, going back to chapter 5, James reminds us of Elijah as an example in prayer. And he says that he was a man with a like nature, a nature like ours. So in other words, Elijah was not superhuman. He had weaknesses as any man has. Yet when he prayed fervently, James chapter 5 verse 18 says, Then heaven, the heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. When he prayed earnestly, heaven gave the rain and the earth produced fruit. So keeping that in mind, we may sow the seed of God's Word accurately and faithfully Again, James 5.16 in the New King James Version says this, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So Elijah's prayers were not answered because he was a prophet. His prayers were not heard because he was a special person who had a unique gift. Any righteous person can get the same results if they pray effectively and fervently. Now, every Christian, every born-again Christian is righteous in Christ. And therefore, every believer is qualified to be a prayer, one who prays, a prayer. However, not every Prayer is effective or fervent. Amen. Effective prayer, as I often say, effective prayer is word-based and spirit-led. Fervent prayer is heartfelt, sincere, and believing. Fervent and effective. So perhaps... When it comes to praying for the lost or praying for others, perhaps the problem is our prayers are too mild. Amen. I said perhaps the problem is our prayers are too mild. They're not fervent. They're not passionate. They're not stirring. They're half-hearted. Are you listening to me? John Knox was a Scottish reformer who lived in the 1500s. And he prayed fervently for his country, Scotland. And he boldly prayed to the Lord, Give me Scotland or I die. That's not, that's not a, a mild prayer. That is an outrageous prayer. That is a zealous prayer. That's a, cra that's a kind of crazy prayer that God likes. I think many times the problem is our prayers are so tempered, they're so boring, they're so, uh, they don't stir anybody's heart. They don't stir your heart, they don't stir the heart of God, and when you pray, the angels are taking a nap. <laughs> Give me Scotland or I die. And Mary, the Queen of Scots, uh, the ruler the potentate of the country, was a devout Catholic. And she was determined to stamp out Protestantism. And it is purported that she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Are the enemies of the cross afraid of your prayers? Or when you get through praying, even the devil says, Amen. 
I said, are, are the enemies of the cross afraid of your prayers? That, that when you begin to pray, you can feel the ground beneath you trembling. The demons are getting nervous. Our, our prayers need to be effective. They also need to be fervent. If we are not prayerful, listen carefully, you in ministry. If we are not prayerful, our labor for the gospel may be in vain. In the Great Commission, Jesus commanded us, the entire body of Christ, to preach the gospel to every person, every individual. But Mark chapter 16, verse 20, the last verse in the gospel of Mark, is rather interesting. It says, and they went out and preached everywhere. Now, most people stop reading there. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere. So some churches read that verse, they stop after that first sentence, and they go out, preaching everywhere. But this next phrase is significant. While the Lord worked with them. See, they moved, but He directed their steps. They spoke, but He gave them the words. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul said that he went to the city of Troas to preach the gospel and that a door was opened for me in the Lord. That is an interesting expression. A door was opened for me. Not just a door opened for me in the Lord. Hmm. So in other words, going to Troas was not just an invitation. You know, he got a call. He got a letter. It was not just a good opportunity or a favorable circumstance. God was in it. The Lord moved on people, exerting His influence and causing them to respond to the Word. But the Lord also closed doors for Paul. Learn to thank God not only for open doors, but also for closed ones. And I'll explain why. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, Paul and Silas were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When he says Asia, he's not talking about the continent of Asia. He means the Roman, they're in the Roman Empire, the Roman province of Asia, which is today the, the country of Turkey, you see. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean that God abandoned the people in that place or that He, that he, that he tossed them aside. He did not want them to be saved. It might have been that it was not the right time. Or it might have been that it's the right time, but you're not the right person. For you it's closed, for someone else it's opened. I think the problem with many people we meet in ministry in Northeast India is they just, walk through, they, they, just, they just walk through any door, whether it's opened or not. They step into other people's callings and they gum up the works. Too many people are just copycats. And not enough people are being led by the Spirit of God. Amen. And know this, that a no is not always a never. But then notice verse 7. This is still Acts chapter 16, verse 7. They, this is Paul and Silas, his team, they attempted to go into Bithynia, another place. But the Spirit of Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit, Spirit of the Lord, did not allow them. Again, I thought we were supposed to go into all the world, preach the gospel to everybody. The Lord working with them. This is the Lord working with them. So the Spirit did not allow them to go to this place. How did that happen? It was not the circumstances. 
It doesn't say, and Paul tried to buy a bus ticket, but the tickets were sold out. It doesn't say, and Paul and Silas tried to have a meeting, but the government shut the meeting down. Circumstances did not dictate their actions. They were led by the Spirit of God. The reason they didn't go to Bithynia is because they did not have a release. They did not have the, the go-ahead signal. They did not have the guidance from the Lord to go. And you see, that tells us they were a whole lot more sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit than your average Christian. And when the Lord said, no, you cannot go here, they didn't just bullheadedly move forward anyways. Some people, if the door is shut, they bust it down. But the, if the Lord has shut the door for you, there's a good reason why you should not try to go through it. Amen. Hallelujah. In fact, the Spirit of the Lord did not permit them to go, and they did not even ask, why not? If God says no, your questions are in vain. Why not? You hear your own voice just echoing in the darkness. Well, the answer is because he said, why not? That's why. Amen. So my point is this. It will not suffice. It will not be enough for us to merely ask God to bless our efforts. Because if we are not people of prayer, we will not be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Or said another way, without a vibrant prayer life, not a prayer meeting, a prayer life, you may spend your entire life only in God's permissive will. Like what you're doing is good. It's, it's, it's not a sin what you're doing, but it's not God's plan for you. Are you listening to me? These, they were prayerful people. Hallelujah. Now, let's go back to our original thought. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So this verse is talking about praying for others. It's not talking about praying for yourself. Many people pray constantly for themselves. But we need to know how to pray for others. Praying for others is not the same as praying for yourself. You have greater leeway. You have greater authority in your own life that you do not have in someone else's life. In other words, it's easier to pray for yourself than for someone else, especially if that other person does not consent. He's not asking you to pray for him. However, in this verse, Paul says we should pray for all men, all people. He goes on to say for kings and those who are in authority. So he's not talking about praying for people who request prayer, since many of these people don't even know God. So we can pray for people who even don't want our prayers. But we need to know how. Know this, no one through prayer can override another person's will. Lord, make him do what I want. That's not prayer, that's witchcraft. Prayer is not compelling and forcing others to do as you wish. Prayer is processing the plan of God. God's will. Amen? So again, praying for others is harder than praying for yourself. And yet it's actually very necessary. There are different kinds of prayers. And in this verse, he broadly mentions four types. Notice the first word here, supplications. Supplications is not a word that is 
very familiar to most people. But it means a petition. So in the, in the, in the office staff, um, when something needs to be purchased for a certain department, uh, you know, they're gonna buy some equipment or they're gonna buy food for some kind of a meeting, they will submit a petition to me. And here's the thing that, you know, they may ask me, is it okay if we do this? And I might say, sure. But then they still have to put it in writing and officially say, here it is. Here is the facts, here are the details. So supplication is a specific thing you're asking God to do. And the emphasis in this word is on God supplying a need. So when you think of supplication, think of supply. I need you to supply. Specifically do this, this, this. Just like the staff, well, we need, you know, three chairs, two microphones. We need to buy, you know, uh, five chickens, whatever it is. So supplication is specific petition. Then he says, number two, prayers. This is the opposite. This is a general term. This encompasses a whole lot of things, you see. And the emphasis in this word is not on supply, it's on devotion. The emphasis. See, because words have a denotation and they have a connotation. Denotation is the definition, what it means. Connotation is kind of what you think about when you hear that word. See? So this word this same Greek word, translated prayers, is often used to describe worship. So that means you need to understand that even when you're praying for others, worship has its place. Worship is a part of your prayer even when praying for the needs of others. Then he says thanksgiving. That's more obvious. That is simply grateful language, thanksgiving. And the emphasis on this word is joyfulness, joyfulness. See, you can't be thankful and unjoyful at the same time. You can't be thankful and complain in the same breath. You can do one or the other, but you can't do both, right? And it's interesting, to me at least, it's interesting that Paul, in the letters he wrote to churches, often began by expressing his gratitude to God for them. I'll give you some quick examples. This is not all, this is just a few. Romans chapter 1 verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. You know, after a brief kind of introduction, he's starting the letter now, and he begins by saying, I thank God for all of you. Interesting point, he had never ministered, when he wrote this letter, he had never ministered to the people in Rome before. He didn't even know them. He personally did not know them. And yet he could thank God for them. You can thank God for people you don't even know. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. Read the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's obvious that these people were not very spiritual. Paul says, you're not spiritual. You're babies. You're carnal. They had, they had major problems, serious issues in their church, right? And yet he doesn't begin by saying, I curse you in the name of the Lord. He says, no, I thank God always for you. Seems strange, doesn't it? So Paul was not just a powerful person. He was a thankful person. Most people would say, I thank God for my new car. I thank God for my house. I thank God for, for my children. I thank God for all he's provided for me. But actually, most of the time, Paul is saying, I thank God for the people he has brought into my life. 
It's real quiet in this uh, word-based, spirit-led church, isn't it? Ephesians 1.16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. We often, if you've been in this church for any length of time, we've often referred to these prayers in the book of Ephesians. And, and he, he goes on to say, you know, that God would give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, etc. And those are good prayers to pray for yourself. But he's not, Paul is not praying for himself. He's praying for them. And he begins his prayer not by asking God to do something, but by giving thanks to God for them. In fact, he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So he didn't just thank God like, you know, once in a while, constantly. Okay, just one more. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He said, every time I think of you, I thank God. There's a depth of character and maturity there. And, and why is this scripture in the Bible? So that you and I will be more like this too. Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And notice he says, when I pray, I pray for you with joy. I find joy when I pray for you. Isn't that something? Thankfulness is important in our prayers, praying for others, because it helps us to keep the right perspective. It prevents us from solely focusing on the person's deficits, his shortcomings, his failings. In other words, usually when we pray for someone else, we're focusing on things that need to change in their life. How many Christian wives begin their prayers for their husband saying, Father God, I thank you for my husband. I don't know, some of you are chuckling, some of you are looking at me uh, confused. See, not just focusing on change him, Lord, change him, change him, change him or kill him, change him, do something, God. But begin by saying, I thank my God for you. Or Christian husbands begin praying for their wife first with thanksgiving. So maybe this should be the first thing you should do. That's the first thing Paul did. I thank my God for you. Maybe if you spent hours and hours praying for your family, your siblings, etc., you should balance that out by spending a few hours just thanking God for them. You know what? If you do that, it'll be a lot harder to criticize them. Amen. Glory to God. You know, some of our prayers are just pretty carnal. Not us. We're Wednesday night people. I'm talking about the Sunday morning people. The balcony people, you know. Not you, of course. You know, it, 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 some of our prayers are pretty selfish. Change him. Change him, Lord. I'm just tired of living with this, this, this donkey. Change him. Just, just, not, just like the Apostle Paul, Lord, knock him off his donkey. Knock him on the ground, God. Strike him with lightning, God. You know, it, 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 because you're just aggravated, upset, frustrated, right? I mean, I'm sure pastors, if we could find one, I'm sure pastors sometimes feel like praying prayers like that. God, just grab him by the scruff of his neck and shake him till his teeth rattle. But Paul didn't pray prayers like that. I thank my God. I thank my God. If there's any pastors watching, whatever, sometimes you get frustrated. You know, like, my church is not growing. You know, and, and, and then you take out that frustration on, on the congregation, you know. You get angry at them. But you're getting angry at the wrong people. They came. <laughs> right? Praise the Lord. Now, one more word, the fourth word he says is intercession. And I'll take a little bit longer to talk about this. Intercession, supplications, prayers, giving of thanks, and number four, intercession. Intercession 
is approaching God on behalf of another, another person. Especially for those who are unable to come to God on their own. Again, intercession is approaching God on behalf of another. So you're not praying for myself. Especially for someone who is unable to come to God. Intercession is, among other things, it is pleading for favor and mercy. Turning away the wrath of God. It is taking the place of another before the seat of authority. For example, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says concerning Christ, He always lives to make intercession for them. So that means in heaven, what is Jesus doing? Right? He's at the right hand of the Father. Some people think He's just sitting there you know, watching the clouds go by, or maybe he also has a golden harp or something like that. No, he, what, he's, he's, not, he's not just relaxing. You know, he's not just taking a break for the last 2,000 years. That's a long break. He's actually busier now than he was in the earth. Because he has a heavenly ministry of intercession. He is the mediator between God and men. He stands before the Father on our behalf. And He argues our defense. He is our attorney before the bar of justice. Are you listening to me? So, He always intercedes for us in the sense that He's representing us before the Father. In a similar way, when we intercede for the lost and the wayward, we are pleading their case before the high court of heaven to stay the hand of judgment. One really good example of intercession is from the Old Testament, and it's the story of Abraham. Abraham interceded for the city of Sodom. See? So that tells me you can pray not only for an individual, you can pray for groups of people or even a location. He didn't just pray for one family in Sodom. He actually was praying for the whole city. And it's interesting that Abraham would even care about Sodom since the people there were notorious sinners. Genesis 13, 13 says they were great sinners before the Lord. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the people in Sodom, the Bible says they were great sinners. They weren't average. They weren't novices. They were gold medal Olympic sinners. They were, they, uh, you know, they were, they, were, they were professional sinners. Big sinners, Right? In fact, it's so interesting that after he fellowshiped with the Lord, you can read Genesis 18 to get more detail, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And he made it clear, I'm going to investigate Sodom because the outcry against the city has come up before me. And when Abraham heard that, he did not say, sounds good to me. They deserve it. Kill them. Kill them all. Knock them dead. Just grind them to powder. I'll be cheering you on, Lord. See, to be an intercessor, I said, especially praying for the lost, and these people are definitely lost. You know. To be an intercessor, you have to have empathy. You have to put yourself in another person's shoes. So if you, if you are disgusted with sinners, ew, eh, oof, don't touch me, I'm holier than thou. If you are, if you are just, just, just totally repulsed by sinful people, you can never pray for them. Right? So you have to remember, you see some really rough looking person, right, in the town, and you think, 
That was me. 20 years ago, that, 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 that was me. In fact, that might be one of my old t-shirts he's wearing. I don't know, that, that was me. But for the grace of God, there go I. Know who you are in Christ and don't forget where you came from. Amen. That's right, right? So you have to have empathy. And sometimes, you know, you deal with people and you're annoyed by them, aggravated by them. And, and sometimes, you know, like someone just in, in traffic may just irritate you for a moment. But somebody you work with or somebody that you, uh, you know, that you live with or someone that's close by, you know, that, can, that person just really irritates you, right? The Bible says, love your neighbor and it says, love your enemy. Because usually it's the same person. <laughs> right? You know, you know, why does he have to burn his tire every night? Why? We're choking over here. I feel like I'm in Auschwitz or something. I'm a concentration camp victim. Why does he do that? I'm going to kill that dog. I'm going to get a gun and I'm going to shoot that dog. You know, the, all the kinds of thoughts like that. It's really hard to pray for people when you're ready to kill them. You know, it's just <laughs> difficult. So one thing is, if we're going to be intercessors, we cannot be self-absorbed people. Right? I say this all the time. I suppose it's humorous, but it is true. Some Christians went to high school and were shocked to learn that the sun is the center of the solar system. They thought the world revolved around them. <laughs> it's all about me, right? So you can't, you can't, be, you can't think that way and, and be an effective intercessor. Now, I should, I should mention this. I have to move on. I should mention this, that Abraham did not pray for the homosexuals. When the Lord said, you know, I'm going I'm to bring judgment on Sodom, he didn't say, Lord, that's just an alternative lifestyle. Come on, you're, you're antique. Be modern. Love is love. <laughs> that's not, that's not, read, that's what some people think happened. That's not what happened. Abraham argued that the righteous should not have the same fate as the wicked. So his argument before the Lord, he's pleading, his case was, will you destroy the righteous along with the wicked? That they have the same, the same judgment comes to both? Far be it from you to do that. And so his, his argument was, eventually if you, he got down to 10 people, if you can find 10 righteous people, and God said, then I'll spare the entire city for the sake of those 10. I know sometimes we, we feel like, you know, that maybe, I don't know, maybe some people feel like Dimapur is Sodom. And if you drive through certain parts of town, you might think that way, right? You might think that Dimapur is Sodom. A lot of people, you know, like from Kohima, they definitely believe that Dimapur is Sodom. We know that they are. Anyways, <laughs> but, but the thing is, the thing is, there are more than 10 righteous people in this town. There are more than 10 people in this room tonight, for example. So I know God's not going to destroy this people. Amen. But we have to take our place like Abraham. Hallelujah. And, of course, they, they didn't even have 10 righteous people in Sodom. But the angel told Lot, you have to leave now. Tell your loved ones, family members, gather them. We have to leave now. And it's interesting to me that the scripture says that as Lot lingered, you know, he woke up that morning, well, I was going to take the dog for a walk, and I, today I was going to, you know, I, I was going to go to the gym a little bit. And, and, and the angel took hold of him by the arm. And it says, being merciful. And his, and his family. And escorted them out of the town and said, flee, for I cannot do anything until you leave. Even though the city was destroyed, that doesn't mean Abraham's prayers were disregarded. That was the answer to his prayer. I don't know that day whether Abraham knew he was really praying for Lot, but he was. So that means, you know, 
there are other people that need you to take your place in intercession. Okay, let me just focus on one little point here and, and then we'll, you know, finish this. I would like you to go with me to Romans 8.22. Romans 8.22. In this verse, Paul makes an unusual statement. Sort of peculiar statement. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Oftentimes when Paul says, do you not know? I'm thinking, actually, no, I, this is the first time I'm hearing this. You know, this is one of those times, for we know. And I'm thinking, we do know? I guess we know it now. I, never, I didn't know that. We know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What he's saying is this is a fallen world. That when Adam sinned, nature fell with him. And that the whole planet is longing for a new heaven and a new earth. And he compares that, 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 that dissatisfaction, that trouble, that troubled feeling to a woman in labor. Groaning in the pains of childbirth, see. And then he says in verse 23, Romans 8, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. What does that mean? It means the redemption of our bodies. So just like the world has this restlessness, there's something in us that's dissatisfied, something that's reaching for more. Whether you know it or not, there's something in you that's calling forth for a glorified body, a perfect body, a resurrected body. And he says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit. I think he means we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think that's what he means. He says, we also groan inwardly, see, because of the Spirit within us. Now, skip down to verse 26. And, and, and verse 24, 25, he kind of takes a little side journey, but he comes back to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So, even if you are knowledgeable on the subject of prayer, even if you, you know, have studied the subject thoroughly, you will never know how to pray in every situation exactly as you should because you may know a lot, but you're not omniscient. You're not God. You don't know what's going on in that other person's life, you see. So he says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Likewise. Likewise means in the same way. Or in this way. Likewise. The Spirit intercedes for us. Just like the world is groaning inwardly. We ourselves who have the Spirit, there's something in us just groaning. Likewise, in the same way. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with that same inward groaning. This is not something the Spirit does apart from us. It's something He does in us. He doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't pray for us. He helps us to pray. Amen? Verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The one who searches the hearts is God the Father. Whose hearts is he searching in this verse? Ours. Ours. And those unintelligible utterances that escape our lips from something deep inside of us it makes sense to God. He understands what's being said. 
This is how the Holy Spirit helps us to make intercession. So there are times personally that I'll be praying uh, in my prayer language. Sometimes when we pray, we're just, many times when we pray, we're just edifying ourselves. We're just, we're just building ourselves up, and we should do that. But you see, there are different moves of the Spirit. And sometimes we can move over into another area. Um, think of it this way. You know, there are different anointings, right? Some people are anointed to teach. Some people are, uh, are anointed to preach. Some people are anointed to, 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 to praise God, lead in worship. And there's an anointing to pray, right? And it's not necessarily, think of, think of it not necessarily as like some kind of a gift you have, but something that will come to you or rise up within you as God wills. See? So the Spirit of God will help us to pray for the lost, help us to pray for the wayward, help us to pray for others. Why? Because we don't know how to pray as we should. And sometimes as we're praying in our prayer language, it'll move over into another area, and it's not now just edifying yourself. And if you're a little bit keen, you can tell. And sometimes now there can arise within you almost like, like inexpressible groanings or, 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 or words that, that, that cannot be expressed, you see. But it's not something you consciously decide to do. You don't just say, well, today I think I'll groan. No, 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 no. It's the Holy Spirit that moves on you as He wills. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So there are times when I pray that way too. Not, not all the time, but there are times when I pray that way too. And, and, and sometimes you have a sense that, like maybe I feel like I'm praying about this, and sometimes you don't really know. But you don't always have to know. Because he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So Brother Hagen uh, was uh, praying with his wife and a pastor and his wife, the four of them, for a meeting they were having in a church. And as they began to pray, Brother Hagen said, a spirit of intercession came on me. Or we could say a spirit of prayer. Or the Spirit of God just really moved on him, he said. And, and he began praying hard and fast in other tongues. And it was more than just his, his uh, edifying himself in tongues. It was more than that. And he began to groan in the Spirit. And he said that as he, was, he prayed that way for, for some time, uh, like more than half an hour, I think. And then suddenly he said he had a vision of hell. He saw people falling into the precipice, falling into the fires of hell. And he said, as he saw this vision, he said, I felt like suddenly I was among them, that I was one of them, that I was also being thrown into hell. And he said, I, I know that I'm not going to hell, but an intercessor takes the place of another. He, 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 he stands in their shoes. You see, and he said that even he saw the, uh, in the vision the flames of hell, and he said, "I felt like the burning sensation." And he even cried out, "You know, give me water, give me water!" And in his mind, he's thinking, "This is crazy because you know I'm not going to hell and I'm not thirsty." But but he was the spirit of God was moving through him, you see, and he said, "I kept praying that way until the burden lifted." And that's a good piece of advice. If you have a burden to pray, pray it through. Stick with it. Again, I caution you, don't try to conjure up something. Don't try to make something happen. You can't do that. But you can make yourself available if God wants to move that way, you see. And so he, um, he prayed till that burden lifted. He had a note of victory. And then... The next day, they had a revival meeting in that particular church. They said, this is a long time ago. And in those days, he said uh, that if they had like two people saved and maybe, you know, three or four baptized with the Holy Spirit, they thought, wow, whew, we've had revival tonight. 
But he said that night, he was maybe 20 minutes, 15 minutes into his sermon, and suddenly the Spirit of God just fell in that place. And there was a spirit of conviction that fell in that place. See, and he said, without me saying a word, every sinner just came running to the front. And they knelt and began to cry out, God save me. And, and every one of them was also baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some, this was a smaller church, you know, but he said, you know, we would have two or three. He says, that was like some 60 people at one time just came forward. See, that was a result. That's what he was, he was praying about. He was interceding for the lost. To pray effectively for others, especially for the lost, we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit. See? So in other words, it will not suffice just to only pray with our limited understanding. God save him. God help him. We can pray according to the word of God, but we also need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Again, forgive me for being redundant. I'm not asking you to try to put something on. I'm not asking you to try to pretend to be, to have something. All I'm saying is just, I would encourage you, pray as best as you know. Pray in the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God seems to lead you in a certain way, go with it. If He doesn't, that's fine. Amen? In other words, let the Holy Spirit lead you rather than you leading the Holy Spirit. Now, some things, like prayer, are learned better by doing than just studying. Right? Some, things you, you just are, some things are better caught than taught. So some things you, you just learn from experience as you're mentally processing that thought. Let us pray for others in our life. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, Kim Jong-un and North Korea. I mean, unless, unless God speaks to you. I'm talking about people in your life that are lost. That don't, do, do, does anybody here have friends or family members or colleagues who are not saved? Well, you know, we can pray for those. If you don't have any friends or colleagues or family members who are unsaved, then you must be living in a monastery. And I would suggest once in a while you go outside and get some fresh air. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So with our understanding, why don't we pray for them specifically? We can, we can thank God for them. They're, they're, they're not devils. They're sinners just like we were, right? And, and, and we can pray specifically, we can petition God that the Spirit of God will speak to their heart. This, how about this year especially, this, this season, you know, that the Spirit of God will, will soften their heart, that he'll send, Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to thrust laborers into his harvest, that others will go and, and, and sow the seed into their life. Amen. Hallelujah. And then, you know, we can take authority over the devil that that's blinds men from seeing the light of the gospel. And then we'll pray in the spirit. Just, you could just say, well, Lord, I'm going to pray a little bit with my, in, in my prayer language, you know. Sometimes you just need to get tuned up a little bit, you know, to get charged up a little bit. And then, Lord, as you would lead me to pray for um, others, I'll endeavor to just follow through with